Hi, and welcome to the St. Mark's Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Ben. And this week, we're looking at how to deal with difficult people, which is wonderful, isn't it, Matt? It is wonderful. It's always something that I struggle with. What about you, Ben? Oh, yeah. On a daily basis, especially at work in the office. Yeah, sitting next to me. Oh, yeah. Really difficult. Oh, awful. Vice versa, Ben. <laughs> it's just a mess. How do you deal with difficult people, Matt? I try my best to love them, but you know, it is so hard, isn't it? It can be. It really can be. I think Matt might have some wisdom for us about how we can handle difficult people. Well, I'll tell you what, let's have a song of worship and then uh, we can hear what he's got to say. Do you want to pray for us before we start? Brill. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the ability to take some time out in our day, to listen to our podcast, to soak in some worship and to hear a great talk. And we pray that you would speak to us as we spend this time in your presence. Amen. Amen.
Welcome to the next part in our Life to the Full series. Today we're looking at how to respond to difficult people. And we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Concerning retaliation, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Well, 
hello and uh, a special hello if it's the first time you're listening in to our podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Since the new year, we've been working through a series we're calling Life to the Full, uh, listening again to Jesus' teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, in which he lays down some quite seriously uh, sort of quality pointers for living a challenging uh, and yet highly distinctive lifestyle marked by the love and grace of God. And uh, as it was back then, on that mountainside at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, followers of Jesus have embraced this way of life that challenged the world around them. Uh, And Christians over two millennia have constantly changed the course of human history for the better by their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and a life that seeks God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yet for those just listening in, those on the sidelines, This teaching has often been rejected as complete folly or simply too much to handle or considered to be for the weak or the feeble. In fact, Jesus' teaching in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is quite often misunderstood and misinterpreted to be like signing your own death warrant. The journalist and atheist Christopher Hitchens described this passage as being deranged, suicidal and immoral. It's only right then that we grapple with this teaching so that we're ready to respond well when we face difficult people. I don't know whether you have ever come across the fight or flight response. It's basically an automatic psychological reaction to an event that is perceived as stressful or frightening. Maybe you've been in a fight or flight situation yourself. It is hard to discern whether in any particular situation you would stay and fight out the threat or whether you would uh, simply run a mile or two. Uh, but I thought we'd, uh, in good faith, see whether we would fight or flight. So I just wonder, uh, how would you respond to these different situations? Would you would you fight? Would you tackle the challenge? Or would you run a mile? So I wonder, how would you cope if you were fronted with a grizzly bear? Would you uh, Would you fight it? Or would you flight it? How about uh, giving a speech to a crowd of a million people? Is that something you quite fancy? Would you fight it and embrace the challenge? Or would you run a mile, flight it? How about uh, walking around town dressed as a banana? Strange, uh, sounds a bit odd, I I know, but uh, it is something I have been known to do. Uh, Would you embrace that? Would Would you fight it or would you flight it? And finally, how about doing karaoke in front of the Queen? Uh, Would you fight it and and just go for it? Or would you run a mile and flight it? You know, when we do face difficult, stressful or awkward situations, our instinct can simply be fight or flight. And this might also be the case when it comes to facing difficult people. Uh, In fact, we might simply uh, prefer just to avoid difficult people altogether. But the thing is, if we're going to engage meaningfully with people and be followers of Jesus, we are going to encounter some difficult people along the way. And that's why Jesus gives us some guidance on how to handle them well. The good news is that it isn't simply a case of fight or flight, one or the other. Jesus gives us more than that. Another way of handling these awkward and sometimes stressful encounters uh, that's what we're going to dig into today. Now, when I mentioned awkward people, maybe someone instantly comes into your mind. A neighbour, a work colleague, a family member maybe. Maybe it's you. 
Uh, who knows? Apparent maybe at the school gate that you just try to avoid. And uh, now you're thinking, great, listening to this podcast, I'm going to be told that I have to do something beyond just fight or flight. Well, let me ask you this. What if something could change here for the better? I mean, what if the most difficult people we meet could discover Jesus through our response to them? What if the hostility between us could be removed? What if we moved away from simply resisting difficult people to giving them more than they bargained for? So I guess a good place to start is asking, well, what does Jesus have to say about difficult people? Well, he seems to refer to four different groups, four different groups that he calls evildoers, verse 39. And he suggests that there are sort of four different types of difficult people. Firstly, those who are rude, insulting or abrasive. Secondly, second group of people, those who persecute or prosecute us. Thirdly, uh, those people, difficult people who take advantage of us. And fourthly, those who take from us. And Jesus tells us how to respond to such people when we're in the line of fire. So let's take a look. Is it uh, fight, flight or something else? It's that first group of people, those who are rude, insulting or abrasive. Uh, the the example Jesus gives us is one who may strike us on the right cheek. Uh, you might as well get your hand, try and work out what hand you're using to strike the cheek. It's sort of a bit, bit of a backhanded slap. And back in the day, um, when I was when I was at school, uh, secondary school, went to an all boys school. Uh, quite often, uh, there people were always getting punched or, or punching. Uh, or or bundling or or something similar. Uh, Someone's always getting punched in the face, often for absolutely no reason at all. And uh, I don't know if that's just because it it was a a boys' school and there were crazy high levels of testosterone, uh, or whether the girls' school down the road had an equally high level of mindless violence, I don't know. But sometimes a punch or a slap in the face is something we we expect. It might be we think, well, I kind of deserve that. But Jesus is talking here about something that's really undeserved. Because what he's referring to is more than just a slap in the face. According to Jewish rabbinic law, a backhanded slap on the right cheek was twice as insulting as a flat-handed slap on the left cheek. It's quite, if you like, just try and do that motion, it's quite hard to work out. But a backhanded slap seems like maybe a bit easier to give. But it was ultimately a statement that showed the greatest possible contempt for someone. But, you know, we don't need to be slapped in the face to be humiliated by someone. We may find that our pride and our dignity is quashed when someone insults us with their words or their just their attitude towards us, uh, particularly if we feel it's uncalled for. And our reaction may well be to tell them where to stick it and go in for the fight. Maybe we flight, but reality is it still hurts. Jesus seems to say otherwise. He, he says this, he says, turn the other cheek. Okay, Turn the other cheek. How about the second group of people, those who persecute or prosecute us, these difficult people? And Jesus says that these are the people who may try to sue you or take your coat. Across the world, it's estimated that some 360 million Christians face such persecution for their faith in Jesus. And many of them are imprisoned and fairly prosecuted and stripped of their civil and basic human rights. Open Doors uh, estimated last year alone that almost 6,000 Christians were murdered for their faith last year. You know, persecution and prosecution can result in a loss of possessions. And many do lose their, lose their possessions, their homes, jobs, uh, because of their faith in Jesus. 
And this is extreme and very real persecution. You know, we might find that we don't face quite such persecution, but we might find that we're singled out for our faith in Jesus or we're disliked for having faith. Maybe even just an interest in Jesus. Perhaps we're bullied for our belief and our trust in Jesus. So what's Jesus talking about when he says, if someone takes your coat? Well, Jesus was talking about someone demanding you give up your undergarment, I guess a bit like a a vest, which was kind of really a non-essential item of clothing that pretty much everyone owned more than one of. Even the poor had a few of those, had a few vests. But a more precious and essential item of clothing was a cloak. So Jesus says, if they're after your non-essential items, go even further and give up your essentials too. Give your cloak as well. So again, challenging words. Jesus' response seems deeply, deeply challenging. This third group of people, how about them? Those who take advantage of us. And he says, those who force us to go one mile. Let me try and put this in context for us. It was fairly common practice in the Roman world. Uh, this this sort of forcing someone to go a mile. A, an occupying Roman soldier would demand, or could demand, that a citizen carry his bag. A citizen need only feel a spear on their shoulder, and they'd know that they were compelled to carry the bag a thousand paces. Either way, it was, I guess, considered quite unreasonable. I mean, how would you feel? You're just nipping out to buy a pint of milk. Next thing you know, you're being made to carry someone's bag near on a mile off route. It was uh, something that essentially resulted in a loss of time. And we might call this quite unreasonable. Uh, the mon- modern equivalent of uh, of this would be people that we call time wasters. Uh, people who suckle your energy, uh, keep turning up time and time again, can't get rid of them. And Jesus says a good response to these sort of people is to go the extra mile for them. Go the extra mile too. Give them double. Again, challenging, a challenging response. Okay, how about the fourth group of difficult people, those who take from us or those who beg from us and want to borrow from us? We've all been there, I guess, you know, seen someone on the street asking for a pound towards a train ticket. And, uh, you know, maybe our instant reaction is to tap our pockets to assess, have we got any cash? Hopefully not. Sort of palm them off. And we almost subconsciously start to assess whether they're really genuinely after the money for that or whether they're actually fueling a problem uh, and, and so forth. And if we're lending money, particularly to the wrong person, this could could easily result in us suffering financial loss. And maybe you know this if you've lent money to your, your kids. Maybe you've borrowed uh, from your parents on a very long-term loan agreement and never quite paid it off. Jesus seems to challenge us to push against this notion of jumping to uh, to sort of assessing whether we should give. He, he says, don't be tight-fisted. Instead, give to everyone who begs or wants to borrow without the lengthy means-tested assessment. He says, do not refuse anyone. And as it happens, so often uh, we don't want to do that. But uh, Jesus says, do it. Just give. Give to people. Do not refuse. And again, that's deeply challenging and I guess out of all these groups of people difficult difficult people of which sometimes we're we're those people uh, we have this contention Jesus has said that these div- these um, difficult people are evildoers and yet on the surface level he seems to be saying that we ought to bend over backwards for them and allow them to take full advantage of our goodwill but I guess if we do that we'll likely end up being double slapped Cold, exhausted, and bankrupt. Yay! 
great incentive to follow the teaching of Jesus there. So when people like Christopher Hitchens uh, say that to follow this teaching, uh, we are deranged and suicidal, maybe it's, it's quite a fair assessment. But I'm not entirely convinced that this is quite what Jesus is saying, and not just because I find it challenging. And to see why, we need to go back to verse 38, the start of the very passage we were reading. Uh, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, let's have a look at that. You know, it's not just Christians who face difficult people, they're everywhere. Uh, Sometimes it's us. But what Jesus is challenging us to do is to respond differently to the way the world would respond to difficult people or to our more natural instincts. And in particular, Jesus is challenging us to rethink the notion of seeking revenge, this idea of an eye for an eye. Now, human instinct might say, slap them back, fire back an insult, steal back from them, take them to court, ignore people, don't give them the time, hang up the phone, don't give them a penny. And it was a pretty strong appeal, an eye for an eye. It was deeply, deeply ingrained within society. I heard even this week in a conversation with someone who's not a Christian, they said, uh, use this phrase, an eye for an eye. But an eye for an eye is actually one of the oldest laws in the world. It's known as the lex talionis, translated from the Latin as uh, the law of tit for tat, tit for tat. And we find it quoted within Old Testament scriptures, but it likely existed as early as the 18th century BC. But in the biblical sense, the use of this phrase was quite unique. It was used to rule out escalating revenge and replace the unlimited excess of blood feuds. You know, this is when people try to get one up on another, like a game of revenge tennis. You you sort of imagine it, you're you're standing there, you sort of surf, you stood on my toe, ball comes back, I'll break your finger. We, you know, knock the ball back, uh, in which case then I'll snap your arm off, back the other way, uh, in which case then I'll feed you to an alligator. And, and the revenge just gets worse and worse. And this might seem like a silly example. It is a silly example. But people do it all the time, the sense of one-upmanship, and the revenge gets out of hand. And an eye for an eye meant that you would at least know what you were getting back if you dealt a bit of a misdemeanor to someone else. And in the Old Testament context, it was not actually designed for individuals to use as, as a sort of moral code, but it was for judges to decide more suitable judgments, you know, how to sort of put the matter to sleep. And even then, it was never really meant to be taken literally. Penalties, the eye for, for an eye bit, uh, were generally replaced with financial fines and damages, much like today, really. Ultimately, an eye for an eye, in the biblical sense, was a way of saying... Do not seek revenge. Do not hold grudges. Put the matter to sleep. And what was the alternative to the worldly way of an eye for an eye? Well, it was this. Love, love your neighbours. Love your neighbour. Even within the wisdom literature, in Proverbs 24, 29, uh, we see the point being made. It says, do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back what they did. Even then it was saying, no, that's not how this works. We shouldn't be seeking revenge. We shouldn't be getting vengeance. We need to do things differently. So if you ever hear anyone using the phrase, an eye for an eye, as a way of justifying revenge, you must assume that they mean it purely in a secular sense. Because the biblical translation of an eye for an eye is this. Love 
your neighbour. And by the time Jesus is talking about this in our passage in Matthew 5, people have manipulated the law to justify their own vendettas. So he challenges this misunderstanding and this abuse of the Old Testament rule and laid it out for them again with a little more emphasis, which sounds on the surface, as we've seen, a little bit bonkers. He says, turn the other cheek, give your cloak, go the second mile, lend to anyone. So was it fight or flight? Was it one or the other? Was it revenge or love? Well, actually, it was another way, a different way, a way of non-retaliation that challenges difficult people head on. So let's start again. Turn the other cheek. What's this about? Well, it's not about surrender. It's a way of challenging the system. It would have the evildoer confused enough to show them that another way is possible. So when we're physically or verbally insulted, we're not to get even or to stand passively. Jesus' examples and teachings within scripture, within the gospels, they're not passive, but they involve action. And we are to act in a way that changes the dynamic of the encounter. So when someone slaps you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on there. You know, I always think that people with road rage must have some serious stuff going on in their lives. So try not to retaliate or fuel it. Just get out the way. You know, find out why the neighbour is such a grumpy guts. Challenge bad attitudes, racist undertones. Be courageous and reach out to others when there's abuse and move things into action so there might be change for the better. Turn the cheek is not surrender. It's changing the game, taking charge to turn evil for good. Are there things in your life that you're being passive about? And what would action look like in this sort of situation? Okay, how about handing over the cloak? Well, handing over the cloak was not about being humiliated as you sort of went round naked, but about taking initiative. My own experience as a teenager in particular of being mocked for my faith turned out for good in the end. And I found ways, despite the challenges, to bless others. And I would do things even when I was at school, like buy people in my class cakes, give people lifts when I had a driving licence. And eventually people wanted to really know what was different about my life? Why was I a Christian? Why did I really believe this stuff? And more importantly, does it make a difference? I have friends who did come to faith in Jesus because I'd taken the initiative to turn the taunts into questions. And if you're finding it hard to open up conversations about the difference Jesus makes in your life, what can you do differently? How might you be creative in the way you bless other people, particularly those who give you a hard time, even if it costs you your essentials? Go two miles. Well, this isn't about exhausting yourself. It was about getting back control. Yes, a Roman soldier could force you to go a mile, but they couldn't force you to go any further than that. So to go two miles was purely done by voluntary agreement. To say, I'll do it again. You were holding the reins, taking back power. You're no longer bound by the authority of the Roman soldier or by their orders. So if we have a difficult person who's a bit of a time waster and they're taking advantage of our time and our goodwill, how might we gain back control by setting the agenda ourselves? Can we get ahead of the request and offer them some support that will make a difference in their lives? Maybe we'll invite them to church, maybe even bring them along to church. 
And then give to everyone who begs from you. This isn't about being a pushover. It was about, again, changing the dynamics. If you get a chance, read Acts chapter 3. You'll see Peter and John, they're going up to the temple and they find a man there, a blind man, begging. And he asks them for money. And they say, well, look, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give you. And they say, in the name of Jesus, walk. You know, my point being that there's always something behind that request for a bit of extra cash, much like that man in Acts chapter 3. But when we come across that, someone asking for the pound for the train ticket or a couple of quid for a sandwich, paying up can often be the easy option. We shouldn't idly give away money if we know it's going to be used for destructive purposes, even if it's been asked for. Instead, we should give a loving solution, even if it leaves us, leaves us out of pocket. Ignoring someone is equally an easy solution. Offering to buy them a coffee, a sandwich, and have a chat with them takes courage. Approaching them to ask what's up or just how the day is takes courage. Welcoming the stranger takes courage. Changing their dynamics is possible because God will give us the eyes to see how we can be salt and light in their lives and in their world. Do you know people like this? Those sort of uh, people who, who take from you? Well, what could you do this week to shift the dynamic and ask God to give you wisdom to speak into their lives so that their lives might find transformation? I'll start to draw us to a close with with this from the influential Christian leader and theologian, the Reverend John Stott. He once said this, he said, we're not meant to be a doormat, rather we're meant to be a strong person whose control of themselves and love for others are so powerful that they reject absolutely every conceivable form of retaliation. So is it an eye for an eye, as we might have understood it? No. We must not be motivated by revenge or destruction, but we should be pursuing peace. We should be a people who are generous with our time, our availability and our finances. We're to be less concerned with our rights and more concerned with the rights of others. We are to be radically different. We're to be salt and light in our world, in this town, in Grimsby, in the place that you live. We're to live life to the full in the eternal confidence that love does triumph over evil. And when we face evildoers, when we face difficult people, love will triumph when we're prepared to take courage and challenge the system, take initiative, get back control, change the dynamics. How do we do it? Well, quite simply, let's translate those words, an eye for an eye, into the biblical sense and the way that Jesus intended. An eye for an eye means this. We're to love our neighbour. You know, I want to know what a greater Grimsby looks like. What it looks like when people have encountered the love of God, a greater love. When they're released to live a greater life and go and see that greater Grimsby. And we can picture it and we should. We should picture it in our mind's eye. It should shape our prayers. It should shape our dreams and our vision. But really, it looks like a radical love that wins over evil. That's what a greater Grimsby will look like. It will look greater when a radical love wins over evil again and again and again. And we can be confident that this is entirely possible because Jesus has not only taught it to us, but because he has shown us too. I'll finish with the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor who opposed the Nazis in the Second World War. 
he said he said this. He said, it looked as though evil had triumphed on the cross. But the real victory belonged to Jesus. The cross is the only power in the world that proves that suffering love can avenge and anguish evil. So may the love of Christ in us avenge and anguish evil, so that the people of Grimsby and the people of your community, the people in our nation, may know forgiveness, freedom and life to the full today. And may we be the ones to help people there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've shown us a greater way. We recognise that your words are so challenging that we can feel that they're totally absurd. But they're not. Lord, you've shown us that we're not to be passive pushovers, but we're to be a people who change the dynamics, who see things differently, who live in the eternal hope of a greater way as your kingdom breaks through into our communities. And we pray that you'd use us to be a people of radical love, a people who are not afraid of suffering love that can avenge and anguish evil in the world around us. Give us wisdom and insight to work well with difficult people and to change the game so that even the most difficult of people would come to know the freedom that we have in you and life in all its fullness. So would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and empower us to live this life, this most challenging lifestyle, for your name and for your glory. Amen. We hope you've really enjoyed listening to the St Mark's podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you've got any stories of how you've been enjoying the podcast or any stories of what God's been doing in your life. Why don't you drop us an email? Hello at stmarksgrimsby.org.uk And you can also follow us on social media. Just search for at St Mark's Grimsby on Instagram and on Facebook. See you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye.